Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kim Greenhouse with It's Rainmaking Time. I'm here at the home of Perry Spolter, the author of Gravitational Force of the Sun. This is a breakthrough series of discoveries about information and knowledge that is not being accepted in the mainstream scientific community. It was explained to me that she has totally new information about Einstein's theories of relativity and others. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Perry Spolter to its rainmaking time. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. I think that science should be based on observational and experimental data. Taxpayers so far have wasted $1 billion of their money. They paid $300 million to build two four-kilometer-long laser interferometer LIGO, and they have admitted that they have not detected any gravitational wave. The gravity probe B in Stanford, they say that they have detected frame dragging. Their original data did not show anything. They have finagled with this data for five years. And now they say it is significant to 19%. And 19% is not statistically significant, is not acceptable. They have spent $760 million of taxpayers' money. I believe that with that money to do research on alternate energy, we would be independent of foreign oil today, and we wouldn't be polluting the air. Why would we have been independent of foreign oil and why would we have had clean energy? Explain it. Because science will find clean and affordable energy. Science before Einstein used to be based on observational and experimental data. Einstein first introduced extensive set of advanced mathematical equations comprising the general theory of relativity. And then his followers tried to fit nature to it. I think this is basically wrong. I don't think that the taxpayers should waste their money to prove Einstein's predictions. Science should be first getting experimental data and observational data and then interpret. What led you into looking at the gravitational forces of the sun? When did you become interested in that and why? Well, I got my PhD in biochemistry from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And I used to work for many years and I published lots of data. They were supported by the government grants. And then I had my two babies, and my husband supported me, and I stayed home. And when my children grew up and they went to college, I had time to do research and study on my own, and I was happy because I didn't have a boss. And I was able to choose the subject of my own interest. And I could take as much time as I wanted to investigate a particular topic to get to the bottom of it. You don't have time when you're working on a government grant. On a government grant, you have to publish. You can go several years without publishing and have a job. 
So I was very lucky. My husband was a pediatrician and he supported me. And I could take as much time as it was necessary to investigate a particular topic. What were the questions that you were asking yourself that led you to your discoveries about the sun? Well, you know, I grew up with all these years of doing research and publishing. And then I was a full-time mother with my two babies. And then they left to college. The Hayatis gave me an opportunity to look back at certain problems. You know, Newton came up with the theory of gravitation many years ago. Now, the main thing that was based on observation came from Kepler, Johannes Kepler. Newton was born 12 years after Kepler died. Kepler had the observational data from Tycho Brahe. They didn't have telescope at that time. So Kepler's third law was never interpreted until my book. At the time that I wrote my book, we had a lot better data, more precise observations. At the time of Kepler, they knew only six planets. And Kepler came up with his three laws based on Tycho Brahe's observation. Tycho Brahe had 30 years of pre-telescopic observations of the motion and the position of the planets. Newton did not interpret Kepler's third law. When I started my work, we had a lot more precise data. We had more planets and asteroids. And we had a lot more precise observations. And I believed in Kepler's work more than Newton's because Kepler's law were based on observation. Newton was not. Newton just guessed. There is no basis for the product of the two masses in the equation of gravitational force that Newton has and that now you have in all the textbooks of physics and astronomy. Why did Newton's laws become accepted? I can't answer that because he was a big shot in England. He was right on certain things, but he certainly was wrong in his equation for gravitational force. Uh, he just threw in product of the two masses out of nowhere. If you read my book, I introduce what Newton said about gravitation. He himself admits the basic is independent of mass. The inverse square of the distance is based on acceleration of a, an object falling to the surface of the Earth and the acceleration of the moon going around the Earth. He doesn't say anything about the mass. So there is no justification for product of the masses or uh, for any mass in the equation of gravitational force. Kepler's third law is the equation for gravitational force. And I have interpreted Kepler's third law as the product of acceleration and the area.
There is no mass in Kepler's third law. What implications does this have for science? I don't know what causes the gravitation. Kepler thought it was magnetism. Magnetism? Magnetism. You know, all of the planets turn around the sun in the same direction as the sun rotates. So Kepler thought it's the rotation of the sun that makes all of the nine planets rotate around the sun in the same direction as the sun rotates. Kepler thought that the gravitational force was due to magnetism. All I can say is that I have the correct interpretation of Kepler's third law, which neither Newton nor Einstein did. Einstein just had speculations, and Newton had no basis to throw in product of the masses or any mass. Why do you think a wrong theory is still alive? If you read the mainstream journals, you wouldn't be asking me that because so much junk gets published. I showed you two of the things. If they come from a prestigious institution, if you are in a faculty at Harvard or Caltech or Stanford and you send any insignificant data to science, it gets published. If you are not, if you have data based on observational data and very highly significant and you send, they get rejected without any review. Anything that goes against the accepted dogma, no, cannot get published. Don't you think that that's the main reason we don't have new energy, really different energy? That's the reason. You know, it took such a short time for the Manhattan Project. And can you believe what the world would be now if Hitler had gotten the atom bomb first? The United States was able to get that in a record time to beat Hitler. And that's why you, you and I have our freedom today. If we had spent the taxpayers' money and the time of the scientists to find alternate energy, we wouldn't need oil today. I believe that because we had 40 years and we had a lot of talented, experienced scientists in this country. You submitted your discoveries about Kepler's third law, your papers, and your book to many journals. How was it received so far? I didn't get the reception that I accepted at the beginning, but it wasn't all rejection either. They were some people like John Lear and the editor of Physics Essays, Dr. Panarello. He doesn't reject papers because they are against the accepted dogma. He looks at the data. So I have gotten two papers accepted in physics essays. And uh, I have my book in 89 libraries in the United States and around the world, if you check the Internet. I just got an order from Amazon.com for two more books two days ago. 
As this book was published 17 years ago. You know, you don't usually sell books that are that old. You know, John Lear got a lot of people interested in the talk shows in Portugal or in Spain. And you wouldn't know about me without John Lear. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I got emails from some people. They tell me they wouldn't know about me without John Lear, that he talks about my work. So I'm still selling the book. So some people are looking to truth. Science is supposed to be based on truth. Of course, the people who are selling textbooks, they don't want my work because they have to change everything in their textbook. They are teaching the children all of these things that in my book has been shown to be wrong. Now... As we spoke, you talked about the fact that your work is 98% or 99% right. Is that correct? You know, when you work in science, you get the data and then you get the statistic data to see how my, uh, if, if it is the relationship of two things. If it's 95%, yes. you say it's significant. If it is 99% or more, you say it is highly significant. Now, this last paper that I gave you, the relationship between the eccentricity and the change of, uh, that's Kepler's second law, is 99.75%, so it's highly significant. Now, these people with gravity probe B, after five years of finagling with data that were completely insignificant, they say it's 19%. One nine, 19%. 19%. Okay. And that's statistically not significant. If I was working in biochemistry and I came up with my data, a relationship that was only 19%, my professor wouldn't send that data for publication because he would tell me it's not significant. And these people, they have wasted $760 million of the taxpayers' money. And after five years of finagling with the data, they are saying that the frame-dragging prediction of Einstein is correct. How in science do you confirm it's statistically correct? How do you go about doing that? In statistics, you plot one set of data against the other set. When I was a student, we used to work these out ourselves, but now it's very easy. You have software that does everything for you and gives you a percentage? The statistical data. Yeah, everything. The thing is the relationship. If you have something, right, and then going in certain direction with something else. Then you plot this, and if the data are up and down, it's not significant. If these data are all on a line, they are very highly significant. So these people for frame dragging... What's frame dragging? Einstein said that the mass changes the space-time... 
It's crazy. There is no such thing as space-time, four-dimensional space-time that they have invented. Einstein introduced four-dimensional space-time. And now, to fit these other people with the string theory, they have come up with 19 or 20 different dimensions, wormholes, dimension. To me, is incredible. You, you have three dimensions of space, X, Y, and Z, and the time is something else. Einstein has come up with the four-dimensional space-time. So he says that this four-dimensional space-time is bent around mass, and that is what is causing gravitation. So we don't understand gravity at all. No. My sincere opinion is that this is just a waste of taxpayers' money. Do you think there are other dimensions? No, I believe in three space dimension. Okay. And the time is something else. We don't have a four-dimensional space-time. The time we measure with clocks, the three dimension of space, X, Y, and Z, we measure with a meter. We can measure time with the space. Don't you think we made up time? Time is made up. It's man-made. What do you think? Time is measured by clock. So it's human-made. Space human is made. measured with meters. So gravitational force of the sun, which I'm going to read. This is a pre-interview. The basic premise is what? The basic premise of my book is that Kepler's third law is the law of gravitation. And... The correct interpretation of Kepler's third law is that gravitational force is equal to acceleration times the area, and there is no mass in it. Kepler's third law doesn't have a mass in it. I have presented in my book lots of evidence from recent data. Newton didn't have the data, and even Einstein didn't have. These are the most precise recent, accurate data, and I have gotten very high statistically significant relationship for the equation of the gravitational force, which is equal to acceleration times the area. I have based my conclusion on the most accurate and recent data. Do you think that if you were a male, you would be heard differently? It has something to do also the fact that I'm home, I'm not a professor at the university, but then if I was a professor at the university and I wrote this book, I get fired. Why? That's the way it is. I know people who have gotten fired who oppose Einstein. I know a very experienced person who, who worked at a very high position in the U.S. Naval Observatory, he opposed Einstein's relativity, and he lost his job. So the fact that I was able to do that is because my husband supported me. If I had a job and I needed a job, I couldn't write this book. The editors of the mainstream journals 
they don't accept anything that does not support the accepted dogma. It reminds me of Darwin. When people come in with archaeological evidence that goes beyond the theory of evolution, they get thrown out too. Yeah. Look at Galileo and these people who, who first said that the earth goes around the sun. For many years, all these people go to school, they memorize certain things, and they don't want to give it up. You're very brave. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have my husband's financial support. I haven't made any money out of this. I was involved in research, and uh, I couldn't give it up. Let's dream for a moment. Let us suppose that your discoveries and your work became accepted. What's going to be different? The implication of being accepted, I hope that the money that is wasted on Einstein's predictions and on these other things will go to the alternate energy. It is the highest priority in my mind to have alternate energy. So understanding Kepler's laws, the correct analysis of it and implications would facilitate that? It has nothing to do with my work, the alternate energy. It's just my own hope. I hope because the future of humankind depends on it. We are eventually going to run out of oil. And we need clean energy. And we have wasted a lot of money in the wrong direction. So if gravitational force of the sun becomes accepted in science, what will change? All these textbooks that they're teaching and the authors of the textbooks, they are not going to let that happen because they're making money out of their books. The authors of the textbooks in physics and in astronomy, they don't want my work to get accepted because they're making money out of these things they're teaching. How can I be compared with so many centuries of Newton and Einstein, even though what they say is not correct. So what if we say goodbye to Einstein, we say goodbye to Newton, and then what? Will we understand the planets differently? No. Kepler, the laws that he wrote, not the second law, I have the, the paper that I gave you that is going to be published in June in Physics Essays, what he said, whatever Kepler said, was based on observation. Clear. That's clear. But what Newton said and what Einstein said was not based on observation. What do you think about quantum mechanics, quantum physics? I have proof that gravitation is quantized. I have very highly significant proof for both planets and the satellites of the planets in here. Okay. That gravitation is quantized. The space of the next planet, you have one, two, three, or the next satellite of a planet is not haphazard. It follows a, a very highly significant rule. So that means that gravitation is quantized. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with, listening to, and preparing 
for Perry Spolter, the author of Gravitational Force of the Sun. We will return and meet with her for a video. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your interest in my work. My pleasure.